Well, thank you, Nate, and thank you, men's choir. What a treat. Uh, I enjoyed being up here. I'm sure it sounded pretty good coming that way, too. Well, take your Bibles and uh, turn with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 18. And I have faith that my Bible is going to just appear, right? Here it is. (laughs) Thank you, Sean. (laughs) I didn't know we were going to do two songs. Take your Bibles with me to uh, Genesis 18. Taking a little bit of a break today from our study in 2 Kings to look at three dads who really made a difference. Page 13 if you're using uh, the Bibles we have here. Well, we do want to honor and encourage dads today. Uh, I saw a list uh, this week, a little article about the nine lamest Father's Day gifts. And I was thinking, oh, that would be fun to read. And then I realized I would probably offend about half the the audience here because you've already bought that stuff. And now you'd feel weird about it. So I'm just going to share the first one. A tie. Um, You love your dad. And that's why you thoughtfully did not buy him a tie. Unless you really wanted a tie. If you're in church this Father's Day, you care something about your relationship with God and your family's relationship with God. I'm just gonna, going to uh, assume that's the default. You care about these things. Uh, you need to know that God's greatest plan for this earth is the family. Because the family is the best place for us to learn about God. You know I love the church. But no one does it better than the family, and the church is simply an extension and expansion of our actual families that we love, that we have formed, and God has gifted us with children, and we want to have an impact on them. That's what God is is doing. And so we want to take this morning to look at three godly men in the Old Testament that, although imperfect... They kept their focus on this most important thing. Uh, So to give you a little background, I'm going to do kind of like a little bit of a classroom thing first so we get the context of these three men, Abraham, Moses, and Joshua. Uh, If you've been with us in our King's study, we're at about 800 B.C., so we're going to back off from 800 B.C. We're going back to 2000 B.C. for Abraham, and then up to about the 1400 B.C. for both Moses and Joshua, one who followed the other. But here's a little bit of a map just to get our context. Where did the Bible happen? The Bible didn't happen in in Wisconsin, right? It does now, but uh, here's where the Bible happened in the Middle East between Europe, Asia, and Africa kind of bordered and referencing in Scripture uh, three different bodies of water, the Mediterranean Sea, the Red Sea, and the Persian Gulf, though the latter is not actually mentioned. So let's zoom in to take a look at a basic Bible map, looking at three dads with God's priorities and kind of where they fit geographically and in history uh, So to give us a context today. Here's these three bodies of water. And... Uh, 
most of the Bible happens in what is now called Israel, was once the land of the Canaanites, thus Canaan, that is the promised land, but basically all the Bible, most of the Bible happens there. Uh, but it began actually in the Garden of Eden, probably located in Iraq today, and uh, Adam and Eve created, and you go, we're going to trace the, the story of Genesis. So in Genesis 12, we get to Abraham, Abraham who grew up in Ur, and God called him and said, I'm going to make you a great nation, so you got to head to where I'm going to have that nation, and he takes his uh, family and wife and family to Haran, where his father eventually dies. Then he moves on to what is now Israel or Canaan. But they didn't really occupy it. They were just simply sojourners. They were, they were living in tents, Abraham and Sarah. Uh, this is the land, though, God said, you're going to have someday. But his life ends there, and even the book of Genesis ends in not Canaan, but in Egypt. That's where they're taken. Joseph is taken as slaves. So Abraham, and we're looking at Ab in uh, Genesis 18, is in the land of Canaan. But Genesis ends with Joseph being taken as a slave to Egypt providentially because God was going to send Abraham's grandson Jacob and great-grandchildren, those 12 sons of, of Jacob who became the tribes of Israel. And you find them then in Egypt. So as we open the book of Exodus on through Joshua, they need to get out of Egypt to the promised land. And who is called to do that but Moses, who leads them across the Red Sea miraculously, of course, to Mount Sinai, where God gives the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. And that first generation that God rescued out of Egypt does not trust God to go and conquer the land of Canaan. And so God lets them wander around for 40 years until that generation dies off. And in fact, the next man that we look at, Moses himself, does not get to enter the land because of a key point of disobedience in his life. But towards the end of his life now, he rehearses the law, goes through it, and applies it to dads. So Abraham in, in Genesis 18 is, is, is told by God what dads are all about. And 600 years later, Moses is reviewing at the end of his life for Israel, this is what being a dad, being a family is all about. So he does not go into the promised land, but his successor, Joshua does, goes and conquers the land of Canaan, divides it up. And at the end of Joshua's life, guess what? He talks about the very same Thing, what it means to be leading your family spiritually. And that is how you and I can bless our families, is how we lead them spiritually. It's the biggest thing we can ever do for them. And we're going to learn it today from Abraham, Moses, and Joshua. So here we are in Genesis 18. The context of Genesis 18 is that three men show up at Abraham and Sarah's tent for dinner. What they didn't realize at the first moment was that these are the most three unique, the most unique three men ever, because two of these men are actually angels. Chapter 19, verse 1 describes them clearly as angels. That's two of the three. And the third one is the Lord Himself appearing in a human form. And we know that from chapter 18, verse 10, chapter 18, verse 13, both of which Abraham's having this conversation with one of those men, and the man is called, the Lord said, the Lord said. And again, in I think it's uh, 
verse 17, where we pick it up, the Lord said. So this is really God is showing up in human form. I believe it in terms, I believe that in the terms of the triune God, it is Jesus, though 200, 2,000 years BC, Jesus actually appearing uh, in human form to Abraham. So they come uh, for dinner, but they, what they've really come to do is to assure Abraham that the promise still stands that God's going to make him into a great nation, which is really kind of a surprise at this point because now Abraham is almost 100 and Sarah is almost 90 and these messengers and the Lord himself promised that in one year their baby Isaac would be born. So God has tested their faith and their patience to the extreme because Sarah's had no children and they are elderly here but now they will have this baby. So that's an amazing birth announcement. The last part of chapter 18 and then verse and chapter 19 are about God's judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And tucked between the birth announcement of Isaac and the judgment coming on Sodom and Gomorrah is this amazing statement to Abraham. This is what you are about. No matter what's happening in the world, no matter what kind of judgment I'm bringing on the world around you, Sodom and Gomorrah, we kind of picture ourselves sometimes living in the Sodom and Gomorrah. But whatever that's happening out there, here's what I'm doing with you, verse 17. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? We're, get, we're, we're getting privy to God's own thoughts. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Your Bible student, you maybe know that then Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. That's how everybody is blessed through Abraham. Verse um, 19 For I have chosen him, here it is, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. That's our job. So that, here's the promise so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Abraham was going to be blessed if he directed his children in the way of the Lord to do what is right. Indeed, Abraham became a great nation. That's the nation of Israel today. 4,000 years later, what nation has survived except Israel? Survived every attempt to destroy it. Israel and those who are attacking it are still in almost the, new, the, the daily news. And that's no luck at all. That is all about God's promise to Abraham. And then God spells out what Abraham must do so that he can enjoy the blessings he has in mind. Direct his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord. That's our number one job. Then God's able, that's like the path to blessing. Direct your children the way of the Lord. It's the path to the blessings that I've promised you. Now, that tells us something about God. God is eager to bless us. And if that sounds like prosperity gospel, prosperity theology, it's not. It's all about what do you define as a blessing. So if you define the, as, as a blessing, it has to be something uh, uh, costly or shiny. If a blessing is something that, that you would define as, as everybody kind of applauding you, if a blessing is, is something that, that um, has a big growing number every time you check it online, 
then you're not on the same wavelength of what a blessing from God is really about. God's greatest blessings are personal and they are spiritual. God's greatest blessings is for you to be able to go to bed at night with a conscience clear in the sense that you are seeking to obey God. It's to be able to go to bed at night and know that if you do die before you awake, you'll be immediately in the presence of God forever, and that thrills your heart. It's, it's being able to go to bed at night and know that you are living to impact others, friends, children, to walk with God. And if, and if you are interested in those kinds of blessings, if you're still interested, that, that's what he's talking about. And God wanted Abraham and his family and his household to enjoy those blessings. So there's a condition, but it's that do you, do you focus on, is, is this your goal, to direct them to keep the way of the Lord? Now, the promise to Abraham was a blessing today through Jesus and forever that was unconditional, but to enjoy the blessing required that they would be someone directing their children to go in the ways of the Lord. If you've been following in our study of kings, though, most of the recent kings that we've been studying were not doing that. They were descendants of Abraham. Every king we've studied, kingdom of Israel to the north, Judah to the south, all those kings were descendants of Abraham. They're Jews. All Jews are descendants of Abraham. But they weren't, they weren't enjoying the promise the last couple of kings we studied were, were assassinated by their own people, young. So they died young, tragically, and miserable because they worshipped idols. God's promise didn't fail, but they didn't keep the way of the Lord. So if we think of Abraham, how did he do? Isaac and Jacob, the first three generations, if you think and read through their stories in Genesis, all three of them very clearly made some big sin mistakes. Abraham lost patience with God's promise and slept with his wife Sarah's maid, Hagar, immorality. Abraham and Isaac both had some classic lies where they said about their wife, that's not my wife, that's my sister, in an attempt to protect them, lying. Favoritism, both Isaac and Jacob were guilty as parents of showing extreme favoritism. So did they enjoy the blessing? Yes, they did, because, I mean, this is where we, we find ourselves fitting in. In spite of our mistakes, they kept returning to this. I want to direct my children in the ways of the Lord. And on their dying beds, they all were trusting God and urging their children to trust and obey God. And so, we find from Abraham this priority. Direct your children in the way of the Lord. So this is our role as pastor dad. And if you are a little shocked at that terminology, get used to it. If, if your kids joke and call you pastor dad this afternoon, go ahead and blame me. But I really think that's what we are. Ephesians 6.3. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I mean, I, that's kind of what we try to do as pastors try not to exasperate you and help train and instruct in the ways of the Lord. That's just it's what, what we do as families and extensions, what we do as a church. It's just, that's what we are about when we're God's kids. 
So he told Abraham, direct your children to keep the way of the Lord. It's what you say. It's what you teach. It's what you communicate. You need to direct them. It's not passive. It's I need to teach my children. But I've got to also model it by doing what is right and just. So it's the, it's the dad, the mom saying, not only must my life follow God's, but I am teaching and enforcing and training them to do the same. We have no guarantee. God does not guarantee that they will follow it, but it becomes what we pray for. You know how you can tell what your priorities are as a believer? It's what you pray for. And so as you think about your life in general, but especially as you think about as a parent praying for your kids, what, what you pray for reveals your highest priority for them. And, we pray, and pray about everything. I mean, we do need to pray. He says pray about everything. Cast your, all your cares on him. But do we have a, a priority as we pray for our children? Moving on to Moses. Let's go with me to Deuteronomy. Uh, in our Bibles here, page 145. In Deuteronomy 6, Moses is simply expanding and continuing what God had revealed about dads to Abraham. So, 600 years later, it's the same message. Keep teaching your kids the word of God. By this time, though, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob... Uh, had all died. Abraham and Isaac died in Canaan. Jacob goes to Egypt. Uh, there are some 400 years, the last 400 years of those 600 are spent in Egypt where the nation of Israel grows from 70 people to some 2 million people. They are a vast nation, a threat to the, the new Pharaoh, and they, they're enslaved. And eventually Moses is the one called by God to take them out of, out of Egypt to the promised land. And as they, they go through that whole generation, 40 years, one generation dying off, and then Moses gets to the end of his life and he says, I got to tell you guys what's really important. And here it is. The first three verses are what we read together earlier uh, during worship. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and your ch their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all the decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Again, this whole concept of God wanting to bless his people you got to know the heart of God. He wants to bless his people, and that's why he told them you got to obey. Does that sound like any parent in the room? The reason we tell our kids you got to obey is because we want to bless them. We want to enjoy them, them to enjoy us. We want to enjoy being together. And so we tell our kids, you know, that, that's why there's, we have some standards. We have some, some, some guidelines. We have some rules to keep. And it's not to burden, but rather to bless you. So young people in the room just know that your parents, they're imperfect. Their rules are imperfect. Sometimes they enforce them imperfectly or inconsistently, but the reason they 
communicate obedience is because they love you and they want to bless you. And all God's people said, <laughs> was that just parents? I hope, hope some kids joined you there. But this is the nature of God, just oozing through these words. I want to bless you. And you think of even going back to the original Ten Commandments. People today, they'll look at the Ten Commandments in the world and they say, oh, how restrictive is that? As if God is trying to, to, to squelch all fun. What he says is, just worship God, because there is just one God. Set aside a day to focus on that worship, and don't be immoral, and don't take things that belongs to others, and don't cheat, and, and tell the truth, and be trustworthy, and don't curse, and don't envy what everybody else has. And the result is, you will enjoy life a whole lot more. And the proof is, look at the life of somebody later in life who has spent their life absorbed in immorality, uh, addictions, taking what they want, stealing, cheating, and see if their life is wonderful or not. God wants to bless us, so he says you have to obey. So he told Abraham, please, 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 teach the way of the Lord about doing what is just and right, and then you can enjoy the promises. He tells Moses, teach my command so, so it'll go well with them and they will, they will enjoy life. What's really clear is that parents cannot be passive and let kids figure out the most important stuff of life. Direct them Abraham. That's what you got to do. You're going to be directing them. You're going to be teaching them. You're going to be telling them what is just and right. Not telling them to just go out there and figure it out. Probably one of the most dangerous issues in our culture today has been the shift in parenting styles to say, let your kids figure it out. They can be what they want to be. They can decide the values they want to, to decide. We just, we just provide and push them out there. Passive parenting is one of Satan's greatest lies. It's mostly the older half of us in this room right now who remember watching the Andy Griffith show. Um, there's an episode where Sheriff Andy Taylor has to confront uh, this traveling hobo who came into town and was spending some time and had gotten to know and develop a friendship actually with Andy's son, Opie. And the two of them did some fun things together, this hobo and, and little Opie. They, they fished together and things seemed okay. But eventually, Andy came to find out that uh, this hobo was also teaching Opie some bad values. He, 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 had, he made dinner for Opie with a stolen chicken. They enjoyed pie that they took from somebody. And so Andy has this conversation with the hobo, and in this conversation, this hobo says that he should just that Andy should just let Opie decide for himself how he wanted to live. And here's Andy's reply. I'll try this southern accent thing, probably not very good. No, I'm afraid it don't work that way. You can't let a young'un decide for himself. 
And then he uses a fishing illustration. He'll grab at the first flashy thing with shiny ribbons on it. Then when he finds out there's a hook in it, it's too late. Wrong ideas come packaged with so much glitter, it's hard to convince them there are better things in the long run. Almost biblical. Because that's what God's laws are about. That's what Abraham Moses had to discover is if you want to know what's good in the long run, you teach, direct, guide, and when they're young, enforce obedience to the word of God. So that you can transfer at some moment this concept of obeying parents and teaching all the time that you're really teaching obedience to God because someday you hand them off to God. How do you teach them? That's verses 4 through 9. Two basic steps. <clears throat> One is you got to love the Lord your God yourself wholeheartedly. Then you can teach them to love the Lord their God wholeheartedly. It makes sense, right? It starts with ourself. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. So, it all starts with us, moms and dads. He told them, first of all, your doctrine has to be right about God. He's, there's one God. That's essential. Especially then, because... All the nations around were polytheistic, many gods. Everything is a god. That's what we found in kings later. All, they are always tempted to worship these false gods. Well, just as Israel was tempted to follow their world's idols, we today are tempted to follow our world's priorities. I really believe that our idols are our priorities. Money, hobbies, immorality, entertainment, fame or success, power, control. Our priorities are our gods, and there's no room for that in a child of God because we have to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, a singular priority under which all other pieces of life are subsumed because obedience to God brings blessing we will only love him if obey him if we love him and we will only love him if he is our priority but when God's your priority you can communicate that priority to your children well how do we do that verses 7 through 9 so if it's if if, if he's really your priority then impress them on your children. Impress. Somehow you're, you're transmitting whatever it takes, communicating what your absolute priority is to please the God you love. Impress them. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Talk about them when you get up in the morning and have breakfast. When you walk to the park. When you take the road trip. 
when you drive to and from the soccer game and there's that thing that happened and that other dad who and that child who. And the way home from church, you're talking about what you heard in your kids' build class or in the sermon. Or, and when you lie down, when children are young, that's bedtime is prime time for teaching children your true priorities. But, you know, you, you drive along the road and you see what God made. Or you see something not so good and you talk about it. And then, you know, verse 8 and 9, you got to remind yourselves somehow. The Jews, these traditions had developed symbols around your foreheads. They and so some Jews were wearing headbands, phylacteries, they were called, with, with little uh, leather pouches that had little strips of scripture in them. The door frames is a reference to the masuzas, the little boxes they would hang on the door frames that also contained scripture, probably this scripture. This was considered like one of these central scriptures, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love him with your whole heart. But I don't know what it takes for you to be reminded, but I know for me, it's about opening the Word of God on some daily basis, right? To say, this is what I am about because I want God to speak to me because I know throughout all the rest of my day, the world is going to speak to me. And so I really need God to speak to me. It might be something, a verse reminder, an app on your phone, or a post a three by five on your desk or something. But remind yourself of what's most important if it's the most important to you. The larger issue, every single day, every single moment is an opportunity for you to make God your priority and, if you're a parent, to communicate that God is your priority. So let's review what he's told us through Moses. Love the Lord wholeheartedly and impress it on your children. So loving God must first be our singular goal, loving God wholeheartedly. If something's getting in the way of wholehearted love for God, it's got to go. Whether you call it a sin or a distraction, it's something distracting from loving God, so it really gets back, kicked back to the, the sin category. It's obstructing your love for God, okay? Starts with you. And then teach loving God to kids through your daily priorities. It's what, it's what they see all the time. And if you really want to try to understand what a priority is, a priority are, priorities are things that you don't have to decide because you've already decided them. You have a lot of priorities in your life. Eating is a priority. You didn't decide, do I want to eat today? You're a very sick person if you never even think about eating an entire day. You, you, you decide to sleep. That's a priority. But you don't really decide because you decided that a long time that we need sleep. Going to work is a priority. You don't decide it, unless you're semi-retired or retired. But otherwise, you go, to, you, go to, you go to work, and you tell your kids, no, you can't stay home from school. I mean, that's what we do on Monday morning, nine months a year. We all have some of those kind of priorities. But you see, really, everything in life is... Everything that, everything that honor, can honor God has to be a default, a priority we don't even have to decide. People are a priority. So we will communicate how we think about people by how we treat them, and we're communicating that to our kids. Everything must 
fall under the category of loving God. How do we talk about waitresses? How do we talk about other drivers that don't drive nice? How do we talk about people at church? All this stuff is communicated all the time in families. Work. Do our, do our kids see us with a good work ethic? They probably don't see how good we work at work, so the work ethic of the home. Finances. Constant. Kids learn about money all the time. They learn about what our priorities are. Shopping for clothes. Do we buy this fashion? Is it too expensive? Expensive. Is it appropriate? Do we have too many of this already? Giving. Do our children know our giving plan? Do your children know that you give a regular percentage as worship to God? We, we need to communicate our priorities because priorities are things we don't have to decide. This week in uh, staff meeting on Monday, we typically get together, Seth, Nate, and I, and I was sharing with them what I was doing in terms of a message uh, this week, Father's Day. And, I, and I, I shared that phrase, priorities are things you don't need to decide. And, and, and Seth shared a personal example. And later in the week, I thought, I don't want to tell that. I'll just let him tell it. And since he's going to be leading the summer ABF in the second hour, I just had him uh, put it on a video. So let's see what he had to say. Happy Father's Day, church family. This week at staff meeting, uh, we were talking about priorities and things you don't have to decide on each week. They're just part of your life. And I wanted to take a moment to share with you personally uh, a few stories from my own life. Um, growing up, actually in staff meeting, it brought me to down memory lane thinking about my experiences. You may not know it. You know me as Pastor Seth. Uh, but when I was a kid, I was a basketball player. And basketball was my life. Um, I lived it. I breathed it. And I started playing at the YMCA ball right in kindergarten, first grade. Anyway, every year, uh, a humongous basketball tournament called the Gus Macker would come into town. And our hometown of Sterling would just brim over with people. I don't know, 30,000, 40,000 people in town would be piling in. It would just be a huge event. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but it's a huge event. It's a three-on-three -three basketball tournament. I pick my buddies, and we'd go play a tournament. And um, inevitably, every game... We, every weekend, it was a Saturday, Saturday, Sunday tournament. There'd be a game on Sunday morning. And my parents um, had the priority in their family of the local church, worshiping with the local church. And uh, my parents didn't negotiate on that, they didn't talk about it, it just was. And uh, not that I didn't negotiate on it, not that I didn't try to talk about it, but my dad wasn't having it. And so every year in my childhood, from about seven, eight years old on, um, there was this battle in our house. Not because my mom and dad, but because I thought it was a we could negotiate about it, that I could skip church and go play basketball. I always said the line, it's just one Sunday. It's just one Sunday. And there were all sorts of justifications. I think there's a church that gathers under a tent there. And my parents would say, we're not talking about it. It's a priority for us to worship with our local church. Well... My parents weren't real 
rules-based about it. If we, we got out of church, they we didn't mind running me over to catch the back end of a game or things like that. But, you know, at that time, I think it took my dad some wisdom to realize that though basketball was a priority, priority to me, the real priority that would carry me through life would be the priority of the local church and my relationship with the Lord. And that was such a big deal to me back then. And now almost a whole year can go by where the priority of basketball doesn't even come across my radar. So I stand here today just saying thank you, Lord, for my parents who chose the priority of the local church. That priority has stayed with me and has permeated my family. You guys know me as pastor because we prioritize the local church. But even as we were up at Fort Wilderness working at the camp, the priority of the local church will continually be attacked. Um, it was very difficult while serving at camp to prioritize the local church. And the Lord really put a test on our priority. Would the local church fellowship be important? We attended a church called St. Germain Evangelical Free Church. And uh, really, God, I believe one of the things that God used us was to impact others in the camp ministry to consider the priority of the local church. And lastly, you know, we're parents with five kids. We got kids in sports. And our son, uh, one of our sons played football here in middle school. And his first year in the program was fantastic. But we received word just a few years back that they were going to be moving games uh, until Wednesday nights. And for our family, the, the local church youth group, the priority of being together and the word is super important. And uh, we always pull them out to practice 10 minutes early just so they can get the youth group and uh, 30 minutes early, actually. Um, and the coaches didn't seem to have a problem with that. If they did, it was still a priority to us. Uh, but this one year where they switched the uh, games to Wednesday night, we told coach, hey, thanks for letting them play and no longer be playing. He asked why. I said, our priority, the thing we don't discuss, is the local church. And when the church is gathering, it's important to us. Well, would you have it that they went to a coach's meeting and found out that this decision to move to Wednesday was going to impact a good number of families who had the priority of the local church? And as a result, that year, the league decided to move the games back to Tuesday so we could be a part of it. Well, it's Father's Day, and again, this was just a quick blurb on my personal life, but the priority of the local church, I cannot say enough, is how important it is. And uh, it was impacted, we were impacted by my family, and as a result, we're trying to raise our kids uh, to prioritize that local fellowship. And so there's a question I have for you is, uh, what are your priorities? What are things that you don't even have to talk about? Take it away, Sid. I well, appreciate that. Um, we establish our priorities. Our children observe our priorities. And that is our job. Impress them. Talk about them. It's in the daily pieces of life that our children learn to know our true priorities. Turn with me to Joshua 24, page 189. It's probably just 10 to 20 years after Moses died, but a lot has happened because Moses died and then the conquest of Canaan begins, the book of Joshua, and Joshua, who had been Moses' aide, uh, is, becomes the general leading the nation to success. It's a seven-year process to go through and have all these battles with all these different 
pagan peoples, and uh, then they divide up all the land, and uh, now Joshua is coming to the end of his life, and he gathers the people together, and we are reading his words in Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. This is what he tells them. Now fear the Lord, which means to worship, and serve him with all faithfulness. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river. That's on the other side of the Jordan. And in Egypt, way back then. And serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you. By the way, my phrase is that it's so kind of scary. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It's directing the priorities. You you can have those priorities, you can have those priorities, you can serve those gods, or you can make loving the Lord your God with all your heart soul, and strength, your priority. Committing yourself to constantly learning, asking the question, what is God teaching me now, can be your continual priority. And if you are living that way, your kids will see you living that way with those priorities. So you will have to throw away the other gods. Back in Israel's history, Jacob's wife, Rachel, uh, when... uh, when she followed him to the land of Canaan, had stolen some of her father Laban's um, idols. Kind of just wanted to keep them. Israelites, when they were traveling uh, past Moab, Numbers 25, uh, some of the men attracted to the women over there, and they went and they worshipped their idols and committed immorality with them. Idols. Joshua had just led the people to conquering nations, all of whom had idols, all of whom uh, worshipped these false gods. And I wonder if he was thinking, how many people were secretly taking, keeping, or worshipping some of the idols where they had conquered? So you can choose. If serving God seems undesirable, then you can, then you can choose. There are gods from these Amorites that we defeated. There are gods from way back there. You can choose. God is a gentleman. He does not force you to love him. Forced love is not love. God won't force you, but you will miss out on the blessing of a relationship, a close relationship with God. The things that God would truly call blessings, you will miss out on if you choose the idol's priorities of the world. So choose, set your course. But Joshua says, as for me and my house, I'm not letting my kids decide. As for me and my house, these are my priorities. Because I know that my priorities will affect my family, and so I can't just leave it to them. We all know how the impact of one person can affect the workplace, right? One difficult, toxic person can just gut the productivity of a whole team or company or store. Likewise, one really good, humble, 
employee, and wow, especially if they're the leader, a gracious, healthy, transparent kind of a guy or a woman transforms the work team or the, or the company. As a parent, our, our attitude about our priorities, our decisions will have an impact. So choose this day, Joshua told them. You will set the tone. I just urge you this morning, any, any parent in the room, to embrace the shepherding, pastoring concept. You will bless your children most if you see yourself as a spiritual shepherd. Embrace it. Whatever stage of life, whatever's gone before, start where you are. A couple of key places maybe to help us think through are what steps, what might be a next step for, for you just a, a starting point. We talked about prayer. Commit to pray regularly for your child's spiritual progress. There's so many things to pray for. I mean, we care so deeply about the details. You know, don't have any friends at school or whatever it might be. We pray about those things. But you ever think, what is God teaching my child in their difficulty to make friends at school? What are the spiritual priorities? And then communicate. Commit to be more verbal about your own spiritual journey. It is taught. Yes, it's caught, but it's also taught. We have, to, we have to tell our kids something of what we struggle with. Anytime we apologize, we're telling them we struggle with sin. What a great thing for them to, kind of big breath of relief for them. You mean mom and dad do make mistakes. And God forgives, and we restore, and we grow. Be more transparent. It's, if, it's a... If, you've never, if you didn't grow up with people talking about spiritual things, you are blazing a new trail to talk about spiritual things with your kids. Worship. Commit to being regular and involved with the body of Christ, the church. It, it, is, it is one thing to know that I'm supposed to follow God and I know my family wants to follow God, but when you know one big chunk of people well, and you have peers going through school that also are committed to God, you create a, a network of spiritual strength. God didn't tell us to go to church to take something out of our life, but to give us something essential. Love God wholeheartedly. Commit to address any hindrance of sin or distraction that keeps you from loving God. I don't know, maybe as we talked about that or read that phrase, God brought something in mind, that's probably the thing. If there's some hindrance, something getting in the way, some priority that is distracting from what God really wants to do in your life. Uh, Dad, you might get a card today thanking you for a variety of really wonderful things that you are uh, to your kids and to your family. But we stand with confidence on God's word that our concern for their spiritual life will be our greatest blessing to them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your sure word that <clears throat> as we this morning hopped through many generations of people, the, the message has been clear and it's as true today in 2022 that our priority must be 
to love you wholeheartedly. And we just recommit ourselves to impressing this on our children. Not impressing our children about us, but pointing them to you and who you are and how you make a difference in their life. Lord, help us where our sense of blessing has been skewed by the world's priorities, but that we would value knowing you, that we really would rather have you than all these other things. We commit ourselves and ask your blessing upon us as we pursue you. In Jesus' name, amen.